cavities are the second most common childhood disease, second only to the common cold. Babies are born with a sterile environment. They don't have the bacteria that converts the acids into the biofilm. So we get it. We get it from somewhere. If your child has early childhood cavities, there is a 75% likelihood chance that either mom or caregiver has active decay bacteria. Hey, my name is Cheryl Witten, and this is the Aromatherapist Podcast. My newest book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, is the antidote to confusing aromatherapy instructions and bad recipes. This is the book you need to undo everything you've learned on the internet. In this book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, I explore how to use essential oils safely. You can learn with me about essential oils and allergic reactions, irritations and sensitizations, phototoxicity, methods of application, types of carrier oils, how to dilute by age and health condition, the right way to ingest essential oils, contraindications for pregnancy, epilepsy, children, and more, and the aromatherapy secret everyone wants to know, the blending formula you need to finally properly calculate your own DIY recipe or blend. Essential Oil Dilution Guide is available now on Amazon. My guest today is Carrie Ibbotson. She is an oral health coach and a registered dental hygienist with 20 years of experience in the dental world. She's worked as a dental assistant, front office coordinator, a dental hygienist, and has worked in many different offices throughout her career. She's the owner of oralhealthcoaching.com, which is a place where she teaches parents and individuals how to heal tooth decay and prevent future problems. So her program teaches you exactly everything the dentist is not teaching you, that they don't have time to teach you to prevent cavities because it's more than just flossing and fluoride. So I talked to Carrie today about how to heal your teeth why dental work is not the solution, and why there's so many things you can be doing at home that can prevent some of those really big dental bills. And I actually started looking for Carrie because in 2020, during that very first lockdown, I had an absolute raging tooth infection. There were no dentists open in my country. Everything was locked down. You could not see a dentist. And I went on crazy antibiotics to treat my face I had the most insane pain. I was in the emergency room and it, I knew it was a, it was just a, a tooth infection that my dentist had warned me probably was going to happen. I'd had it filled already a year before and he'd said, okay, I have a feeling this is going to turn into a root canal. So right in the middle of lockdown, I had the worst infection in my mouth I've ever had in my life. And all of that year, we, when we could go back to regular medical services, started realizing that some of my children also were having major tooth problems. So I just became so determined, like, why did the dentist tell me that I was probably going to have a root canal and not give me other ways to fix this? I was really quite ticked off because if you've ever had a, um, a root canal, you know how bloody expensive those are. And dentistry in Canada is not covered by public health. And so that was something I had to pay out of pocket for. And it was so expensive. And then my children's teeth problems on top of it. And we are, guys, we are on it. We are on it. We're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing. And yet we still had all these problems. 
So I just became so determined. And at the same time, a girlfriend of mine was going through similar things with her child and sent me Carrie. She found Carrie online and she sent me her information and I started reading what Carrie was teaching and going through some of her programs. And this woman is a genius. She's so detailed. She knows all the things and she will tell you all of the details. Fixing your teeth is simple, but no one's really talking about it. So if you've tried all the things, you've tried the crazy crash, you know, healing diets where you don't eat any grains and fruit for however many years and that hasn't worked. You've tried all the toothpaste, you've tried all the other things. This episode is for you. Carrie gives you so much information. She showed up and she delivered. This episode is so amazing and I've listened to it so many times because there's just so much in this episode. Save this one, send it to your friends send it to your other mom friends. This is how you save yourself thousands of dollars in tooth bills. And so my friends, Carrie Ibbotson. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to talk to you today. Okay. So you are a registered dental hygienist and you are an oral health coach and you do some pretty amazing work um, around coaching people to fix their teeth. So I see your work as a functional approach to dental health. So I'm really curious, how did you kind of take this focus around oral health in your work? Ooh, I love that question. So my work, my dental career started when I was 19 and I started as a dental assistant to see if I liked the industry enough to become a hygienist because it's expensive and time consuming to become a hygienist versus an assistant. You can get in for much cheaper, if you will. Mm -hmm. But my, my dental story started well before that because I was a child who was always in the dental chair and I had both of my parents who also had significant issues as well. And so when I moved into dentistry as a dental assistant, I kept hearing flossing fluoride, flossing fluoride, flossing fluoride. And I tried those things, but that didn't actually stop my problem. But what it did do was give me the opportunity to see what restorative dentistry was doing, like why the restorative process was happening And during those formative years, I worked with a couple really cool dentists that were very passionate about what they did. And so they would talk about things during the procedure. So as they're doing the drilling and the filling, they're talking about like, look at this tooth and how this one's breaking down and look at how these two teeth are grinding together. And that's causing, you know, a line angle defect here and what that's, what that means, right? Like the, the why behind the, what the, what is the cavity, but why does it happen? Like what happens with the tooth breaking down? And so what I also noticed at the same time was that people would come in for their restorative work a couple of weeks after they had their quote unquote cleaning, but where the restorative work was needed and the restorative work would be like your drilling, your fillings, your crowns, all of that type of stuff, things mm-hmm. that are done to restore a tooth. The, the buildup, if you will, the plaque that most people would call it was already built back up in those same places. And I got really confused and curious, like, why aren't we coaching our people? Because I was learning on my own mouth, all of these other techniques, because I would get to sit down with reps and I would get to ask people lots of questions. So I was really curious in what I was doing. And I was really curious in my own healing process. And then I was noticing at the same time that that's not what patients were getting out of a dental appointment. Mm. And so I started this whole thing where, 
when my patients, when, when the patients would come in and they would have the restorative work, you have this downtime as a dental assistant. And so I started creating all these like little mini lessons, if you will, for the people that were in the restorative chair and people just took to them and they loved them and they loved all the hacks and they loved the simplicity of it. And then by the time they came back, say if it was a crown prep, right, there's a two there's a two appointment sequence and there's usually about a couple weeks in between and they come back and they're like, look at all my, look at this. They're like super excited. I'm like, yes. And we're celebrating success and we're doing all those things. And it just really, I knew before I went into dental hygiene school that I actually wanted to coach the consumer into better results, but there was no real, again, air quotes, internet at that time. Mm -hmm. I'm dating myself now. Um, (laughs) It was probably 19, I don't know, 1997 when I really started to get into like knowing that this is the part that I wanted to do, but also seeing all of the other things that typically happened in dentistry and all of the things that have to happen in dentistry and still no time for like the, the actual coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Tybo came out, you know, that Billy, that Billy Blanks uh, <laughs> workout routine. When that took off, I was like, that's it. We just need to figure out how to create something so that people can do stuff at home. And it just kind of grew from there. And then fast forward to many years later, when I was practicing as a dental hygienist, I worked with a dentist who had had in the seventies, they had figured out this way to do coaching where you turn one of your rooms into like a living room and you teach people outside of the cleaning appointment, how to take care of their mouth, the didactic education, right? The how behind Mm -hmm. the what. And then I was able to piece those together. And what I was able to achieve in my dental hygiene chair was tenfold uh, what I ever got when I was just cleaning their teeth. So I started coaching them before I cleaned them. And what took off was just exponential success. But those people also were very motivated and they realized how significant they were in order for the healing process because they could see things getting better before I even, again, air quote, cleaned their teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible because that, I mean, that's a common experience. And I think that's why I looked for you and found your work is because I experienced that very same thing. Like, I'm great at cleaning my teeth and do all the things we do, all the flossing, all of the mouthwash, all the cleanings, all the things. And it seems like every time we go back, it's like, oh, great. Now you need a root canal. And right. now you, yeah, it's like, what? Most people understand like the analogy of a gym, right? So mm-hmm. you pay a membership for a gym, you get to use all their equipment, you could take all their classes. But if you don't do the technique right, chances are, you're going to hurt something else, injure something, and you're not going to get the results that you're hopeful for. It's not that you're not doing the work, Mm -hmm. but the technique behind it and the tool behind it, if you're not doing that correctly, you don't see the results that you hope for, even though you actually put in the work. But Mm -hmm. if you were to hire a personal trainer and that personal trainer were to watch you and say, oh, this is where you've got this part, right? But you've got to tweak this and pivot this. Then all of a sudden you get the results that you're hopeful for because you understand the sequence and the process more effectively because somebody has helped look at, look and see what you're doing and then help you tweak those results. But there are things that you can do at home, like disclosing solution to see if where you're actually brushing is helping you get to the place that you think you are, because chances are, even though you're doing the routine, 
if you're not getting into the nooks and crannies, you'll still end up in that same cycle. And I bet you we'll talk about that further on in our interview today. So absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's kind of leads me into then. So can you just kind of talk about, about cavities as a disease and why the dental work besides not knowing the right teeth, the right techniques, like why does dental work not actually stop the infection? So I'm a big analogy person. So I'm going to go ahead <laughs> okay. and give you another analogy. <laughs> makes more sense this way. Yeah, that's good. Let's say you have gangrene, right? Gangrene would be an infection of the bone and the tissue. And so when you have gangrene, they actually have to typically amputate a piece of your, let's say you have gangrene in your foot. They're going to amputate your foot and they're going to give you a prosthetic. Well, let's say that they don't actually give you Uh, something to clean out the infection, which would typically be like an antibiotic, right? If they don't give you something to clean out that infection, guess what happens? The gangrene compromises the place where you had the amputation. You get more infection at that amputation site. And now they've got to come back and they've got to cut more of your leg off up to your knee and then give you a fake leg, right? And so dentistry is the same way. You are having a surgical procedure on the tooth, but that biofilm around that bacteria level in the mouth is everywhere. And so if you don't take care of that process, then you end up with either reoccurring infection around there. So you get another cavity around the restoration. And that's typically when you're like a filling turns into a crown, a crown turns into a root canal, a root canal turns into an extraction, an extraction turns into an implant or a bridge, right? So it's that cycle, the negative cycle of the tooth. But if we can help you control your bacteria level at home, your biofilm level at home, then that's where the infection process is controlled throughout your mouth so that it's not congregating in one area. If you have, if you've ever had an animal and you have an animal's water bowl and it sits for a couple of days, you get that slime layer on Mm. the bottom. If you've never had an animal and you walk into a pond, it's the same thing. There's that slime layer that's biofilm. And so it's a sticky protein matrix that typically allows bacteria that don't live together and don't come together and don't breed together and don't have a society when they're by themselves, they don't do any harm, but when they congregate under that biofilm, then they start to create their own relationship. They start to breed when they normally wouldn't, they start to create really bad bacteria like amoebas and spirochetes and all these weird things that they would never do if they were separate. And so if we keep that biofilm layer thin and not really sticky, then that other bacteria doesn't go in there and then they just do what they do and they remain healthy and non-invasive in your mouth. Do we naturally have a bacteria in our mouth that naturally exists there? And how, how do, what's the relationship then between cavity causing bacteria? Like, do we need these good bacteria to fight that off? Like, how does how what's that relationship like? Cavities are the second most common childhood disease, second only to the common cold, right? Babies are born with a sterile environment. They don't have the bacteria that converts the acids into the biofilm. So we get it. We get it from somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. typically, if you're if your child has early childhood cavities 
there is a 75% likelihood chance that either mom or caregiver has active decay bacteria because you are 75% more likely to have your child develop early childhood cavities if you have active disease producing bacteria in your mouth. Now that doesn't mean that you're expressing with disease, right? That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you're showing up with cavities. It just means that you have it. And, you know, mom's magic saliva does everything. We're kissing, we blow Mm -hmm. on food, we love. I mean, everything happens from our mouth. Everything we taste, we, uh, those are the, those are the first neurotransmitters that become developed in a baby's mouth. So that's why you see a lot of time babies are putting things in their mouth because they're, they're feeling, they're trying to get this, a sense of what's normal, right? There's very few negative causing bacteria in our mouth versus the healthy bacteria in our mouth. And we want to help the healthy bacteria thrive. And we want to help to kill off that negative bacteria. And a lot of it happens in and around the gums because people don't often know this, but the fluid that is around the gum and in the pocket is not saliva. It's its own type of fluid. It's called gingival cravicular fluid. And if that becomes diseased, it becomes very acidic very quickly because that's the perfect breeding ground. It's warm, it's moist, there's no light. It's like, it's, it's heyday. Mm-hmm. And if you don't figure out ways to clean all the surfaces around the teeth, which most people will talk about flossing. I'm not a big flosser and I'm not a big floss shamer, but I do teach about cleaning in between the teeth with things that are more effective, like little bristle brushes, mm-hmm. because those will help actually stimulate the gum tissue more than floss does for most people. And you can damage your the gum and the bone that holds the teeth in place. If you floss incorrectly, especially if you use those flossers and they slam into your gums, they can create an area that causes the gum and the bone to separate from the tooth and you create more of a problem than a solution. Well, I am so happy to hear you say that about flossing because I despise flossing. I like to use like a little brush. I just find it so much more comfortable. The, so here's something interesting that goes along with this the blood vessels in our gums are so tiny that they can deposit blood, but they can't retract blood. Mm. And so we need, just like every part of our body, we need oxygen to survive. So our blood tissues need oxygen to survive. So they'll keep pumping out blood, but if you don't find a way to stimulate your gums and push that old blood out so that the oxygen rich, fresh blood can come in, you'll be stuck with this bad stuff, still other stuff coming. And that's where a lot of people see their inflammation from their inflamed gums is just the lack of stimulation in their gum tissue. And with so many people pivoting and using electric toothbrushes, if you're not using an electric toothbrush that is specifically designed for gum stimulation, not tooth care, a lot of people miss it. And so as a hygienist, when I'm working clinically in practice, I can tell you I can almost tell you which one you're using because somebody that uses like a sonic hair, when they're following the instructions for use, it says, just hold it still and let it do the work. So the outside of your gums, like the cheek side of your gums tend to be pretty healthy, but that tongue side of your gums tends to be the most unhealthy place, which again, when you have biofilm in one area as that 
as it matures, it gets big, 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 and then poop, it pops off and it goes somewhere else. That's why water, clean water is also a big deal, just like clean mouths, because the biofilm as it's building up, it builds, 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 pops off like a pimple, and then it spreads mm. somewhere else where it can adhere. I think that the the discussion about the biome of the mouth is not something that we we really talk about. And those other healthy bacteria in your mouth, do they do they work with the saliva in order to like remineralize your teeth? Is there another function? Your saliva in theory should be the strongest remineralizer that you can find. Now there's two different types of saliva that's in your mouth. There's the thin, which is very watery. And there's the thick, which if when you see like kids or older people open their mouth and they get like that ropey saliva, you know, you can mm -hmm. see like the string that's thick saliva. So the thick saliva holds on to the bacteria. It almost becomes like its own like biofilm issue. Um, and it doesn't have all the remineralizing properties in it. So that's part of the challenge because when you have an open mouth posture or your lips aren't sealed or you're a mouth breather, you lose all of that thin saliva very quickly so that you're stuck with uh, just your thick saliva, which creates issues as far as bacteria is concerned. Again, that same biofilm acidity issue, the more of the thick saliva you have, the harder it is to get the remineralization process going from your saliva alone. But it really hands down is the best thing that you can find. It's what we're made of, right? So mm -hmm. we're made perfectly. It's just the epigenetic changes and what we see as, as regular around us and genetic changes that are making us imperfect, if you will. But most, a lot of people just don't understand the significance of mouth breathing and open mouth posture and not having our tongue sealed to the roof of our mouth to really help create what we call stasis, right? Uh, what we call just flat line, yeah, normal health balance. Yeah. In the mouth. So how do we manage biofilm and bacteria then? What do we need to do besides, is it just brushing? I'm going to say it's probably more than that for <laughs> based on <laughs> what you teach. That would be awesome. <laughs> But what do we, how do we do this? So you'll hear a lot of conflicting information about xylitol. Our bodies naturally produce xylitol every day. And so the trick is with xylitol is finding something that's really clean because there's food grade and then there's pharmaceutical grade. Food grade can have more impurities, pharmaceutical grade. If it's something that goes up into your nose and in your nasal passages, it has to be pharmaceutical grade xylitol. And then there's the difference between corn and birch, which for a long time, I was really behind the birch movement until you realize that as things become more and more popular, they will find more and more ways to pull quote unquote xylitol out of certain things. Mm -hmm. So there's even places where they'll claim that it's birch xylitol, but like they're using the waste product from the paper industry, right? All right. the excess pulp from paper. So you just have to be careful. So for me, when I'm recommending xylitol, it's going to be pharmaceutical grade xylitol, which is the makers of clear that X L E A R product, which is a nasal spray, which that's amazing because we have to be able to breathe through our nose in order to be able to create balance within our mouth. Mm -hmm. But in our mouth, if we put xylitol in there, 
it's a smaller sugar. So xylitol is a five carbon sugar versus our regular table sugars and what's in our baking products and in our pretzels and breads and all of that. That's a six carbon sugar. So it's a bigger sugar. It's a fermenting sugar. Xylitol is a non-fermenting sugar. And so what happens is the bacteria, because it's smaller and it's easier, it'll automatically be attracted to xylitol but there's not a fermenting carbohydrate. So there's no nutrients. So it's eating, 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 but it's not pulling any nutrients from the xylitol. So it starves. So mm -hmm. that's how xylitol works in the mouth from a biofilm perspective, because if the bacteria, which is typically strep mutans and lactobacillus. And so if you're using xylitol in the mouth, you're starving those strep mutans bacteria. So they can't they don't pull out any nutrients and they don't poop the sticky matrix that becomes the cover, the skin cover for the biofilm. Mm -hmm. So no biofilm that is mature like that, then all the bacteria are just, then they're back to that planktonic bacteria where they might be disease producing, but they're not living together. Right. So they don't synergistically create a problem together. Okay, so, so yeah. the more you can put xylitol in your mouth, the easier it is that you're going to be starving those off because xylitol congregates with anyone. They're like the people of the party that are at every party. They're the first ones at the party. They're the last ones at the party. They're the ones that you wish would leave, but never do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're just always <laughs> there. And so you have to work really hard at creating that balance so that those strep mutants don't have that waste product that they can put out that starts the process. Cause it's not just plaque buildup. There is another layer of bacteria that as soon as you're done having your teeth cleaned, or as soon as you're done brushing within minutes, that layer of bacteria has already laid back down and it's called an acquired pellicle. And that's what the other bacteria will adhere to. Mm. So it's the, the initial slime layer and then the outer layer that we're trying to change positively without over drying and removing the other healthy bacteria as well. So it's a fine balance. It's not hard to do. It's just, you have to pay attention to it a lot because it requires multiple times a day, you getting something in your mouth that has xylitol in it that also doesn't have sorbitol or a lot of other artificial mm. ingredients. So you'll find a lot of commercial available products that contain xylitol, but then you'll look at them and you're like, oh, sorbitol's in it too. And sorbitol is in the same family, but the bacteria learns how to eat sorbitol to turn it into a sugar. So anything that has sorbitol in it will start that same process. It's really bad. And it's in everything because it's such a cheap natural sweetener. Mm -hmm. It is a natural sweetener, but it's very cheap compared to xylitol and erythritol. So you'll see people using it in a ton of products. Most of your oral healthcare products contain it. Yikes. And that's why people try things and then they don't get the results they hope for. And then they think it's their fault, but it's not. They just, it, the fault comes from not knowing how to look at ingredients and see what's really going to be beneficial or not. Yeah. Not being taught that that just aggravates the problem. Yeah. And most dental professionals don't know it. I didn't mm -hmm. know any of it when my head was down and it was my instruments were in people's mouths, you know, I, I pieced it together along the way, but I started when I started coaching the consumer, I thought it was this one stuff that I could really focus on, but because I'm so passionate about what I do and, you know, it's step-by-step, step, like figuring all these little things out. And then my son started to develop 
early childhood cavities when he was 18 months old and I was coaching and I went, holy, what, what's this? What's going on? Why is this happening? Well, my dad loved my son. My dad took my son almost every other weekend. They would have him. Well, guess what they did together? Oh, here's grandpa's ice cream. Let's Mm -hmm. here's the spoon. Oh, grandpa's, you know, yogurt, grandpa's this grandpa's that. So remember I said parent or caregiver. So then my dad became the, the vector, if you will, of continually um, infecting my son. And I had, it was a really tough come to Jesus moment, right? Like we had to sit down. It's not a comfortable conversation when (laughs) you have to sit down with your dad and be like, one of two things has to happen. Either you have to stop this behavior or I can't, like, I can't, I can't have this happen. Mm -hmm. I gotta, (laughs) this is my, this is what I do. And this is what I'm really passionate about. But my focus was not children, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then it had to become children because I was living what so many parents struggle with, but it sent me down a whole different rabbit hole with tongue ties and mouth breathing and sleep issues and vitamin D issues. Like we could just go on and on. We will touch on that in a minute minute because I, I, I mean, that's part of my concern for myself as well, but I, um, I want to just ask you a question about the biofilm. And I have a question from one of my listeners. Can we attack biofilm with a probiotic? And my follow-up to that is, or is it really about that healthy saliva? Like we're talking about that you need to get that so that it naturally has those naturally existing compounds so that the saliva breaks down the biofilm? Super good question. Um, In order for saliva to break down biofilm. So part of the reason that antibiotics, again, I'm going to give you another analogy. Part of the reason that antibiotics don't work in a lot of situations is antibiotics don't penetrate biofilm. So if you Mm -hmm. look in other countries, they're actually utilizing xylitol as a topical agent in the cleansing stuff to break through to the biofilm so that the therapeutic agent can work, right? So with probiotics, you have to be really careful about A, the other ingredients that are in the probiotic. B, if you're always using the same probiotic, you are now just creating a different challenge because you're just continually giving the same bacteria. And so if you're going to use probiotics, which it can be beneficial, especially while you're working through the process of learning how to nasal breathe and how to nasal breathe correctly. Mm -hmm. But you want to make sure that you're changing your probiotics typically every season, right? Just like when you're going to change your toothbrush is every, typically every three months, right? So every three months you're going to change things so that you're not overpopulating the one probiotic. They can be helpful it's hard to find ones that are really super good quality that don't also contain other ingredients that trigger those acidic issues too. And I don't think that a probiotic is going to break down biofilm. No, no, exactly. It is just putting in more bacteria in order to overcrowd the other and to bring up the, the healthy balance, not necessarily biofilm. It's kind of like a crash diet, right? Sometimes you need to almost like shock your system, if you will. Like you got to, sometimes you got to put in the hard work at the front and then allow that to work, right? And that's kind of the same in the mouth, right? It's, and there are tests that you can do. And that includes different type of saliva testing or testing 
what's in the pocket to see what bacteria you're dealing with so that you can really laser focus in on what your treatment would be both yeah. natural and pharmaceutical. There's different ways to do things. And that sort of brings me to my next question because we're used to just blanket statements, but you're, you're sort of saying, no, you, you can, you can figure out exactly what your specific problem is in your mouth. So I'm going to, I would like to ask you a little bit about fluoride. So most of the people, the listeners of the show are not really for, they're pretty naturally minded. They don't like fluoride. And so I want to know, does constant fluoride and especially more in the antiseptic wash, like a mouthwash, does that disrupt the biofilm negatively long-term? And also are we kind of totally missing the boat by always driving home this point about fluoride all the time, especially to kids. We just need to, all you need is fluoride. You need a brush, you need a floss and you need fluoride. Is that, are we completely missing the boat? So there's another F word that goes along with flossing and fluoride that I typically use. And it's not a very nice F word, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's usually between before. So it's the expletive F word and then flossing and fluoride. Cause if that were enough, we wouldn't be seeing the issues that we have today, right? Fluoride has a benefit of whatever it's working with. Let's say fluoride and xylitol are, are together, right? Fluoride is gonna take that xylitol and help it penetrate into the tooth tubules further. That's really how it works. But at the same time, there are so many other downsides to it as we're seeing. And whether we like it or not, most of our commercial food is grown with fluoridated water. Our livestock is fed fluoridated water. Anything with a leaf has a higher concentration of fluoride in it. So all of us tea drinkers, guess what you're getting a high concentration of? Fluoride, because it's in your tea leaves. Then there's the commercially produced. Then there's what is in our tap water isn't even what was agreed to when we agreed that fluoride was going to be put in. That's not what's actually put in now. The game has been changed. It's been flipped. So if fluoride were the answer, we would have a much bigger control over what is going on. If flossing were the answer, people would actually get results. First of all, it's people don't like to do it. They don't like the way that it feels. We talked about earlier, you can mess up your gums. Mm -hmm. The one thing that, that floss does do, and if it works for you, that's great. But if it doesn't work for you, then there's plenty that you can do. But that area, that triangle that's in between your teeth, we it's called like a sacred space. And it's very similar to the, it is the same tissue that's in your cheeks, right? So your outer layer of your gums is almost like an orange peel. There are lots of layers there. That's why the bacteria have a harder time penetrating it. It's called keratinized tissue. There's lots of little layers and it looks like an orange peel. But when you get to the in-between surfaces, that's the same tissue that's on your cheek. So it's, it's different. It doesn't have that protective layer. So that bacteria is going to want to start there because it has a much easier time getting in there. So if floss isn't working or it's not working correctly, there are so many other things that you can be done. Fluoride doesn't change the pH of the mouth. It only drives things further into the tooth. And part of the challenge that we're experiencing right now is the outer portion of our teeth, our enamel, have become 
they have more what's called fluoroxy appetite. So you take your hydroxy appetite, which is a huge piece of your building block for your enamel and you put a, and a fluoride element binds to it. And now it becomes what's called fluoroxy appetite. So it's, it is more dense and it is stronger that for sure that does happen. But when that happens and we are changing the way that x-rays can be seen, cause we're using a lot more digital x-rays that's changing the density of mm. the x-ray. We're changing the density of the outer portion of the tooth. It makes it much more challenging to actually see if decay has started like at a little pinpoint prick where you can maybe see a little stain in the groove that maybe looks like it's doing something. It can get into the, the tooth rods, the dentinal rods uh, much easier. And we have a much harder time seeing it because the outer surface of the tooth is stronger but the inner surface of the tooth isn't stronger. And so mm -hmm. if those things were working, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have what we have now. But what we can do is focus on, again, getting our saliva to work correctly and put things in our mouth that are stimulating thin saliva. That's one of the things that xylitol does is when you put it in, you'll notice that your mouth floods with thin saliva. So you're rushing a lot of that, you're, you're forcing a lot of that thin saliva to get into the mouth and really coat the teeth and do what it needs to do so that it can be much more effective than any fluoride can be. And, and I think there's this, this sort of perception or understanding maybe in the public that fluoride is like, you know, it's going to take care of bacteria. It does. It does. But a lot of things do, right? I mean, mm -hmm. alcohol, takes care of why you'll see like Listerine, but then 10 minutes after you use an alcohol-based essential oil mouth rinse, uh, your problem is typically twice as bad. You'll, you'll notice people that have bad breath. A lot of times they use something like a branded product like that, like an mm -hmm. alcohol-based essential oil product. Um, and for the first 10 minutes, nice, fresh breath. They don't realize that 15 minutes later, their breath is even more volatile than it was before because the uh, alcohol has dried out stuff. And now the, the, what's called the VSCs, the volatile sulfur compounds, the ones that stink and smell like rotten eggy stuff, mm -hmm. those have just exploded in that environment and they start proliferating even more. It's crazy. Interesting. Okay. So I want to ask you about, you mentioned acidity. A while ago. And how does the acidity play into decay? Our mouth, if it's in, again, if we have stasis, if we have balance, we are going through acidity to basic all day long. It's like a wave, right? And when we end up with the acids too low, that's where we end up in the demineralization process. So if we don't have as much on the top as we do on the bottom of the wave going through from acids to basic acid to basic acid to basic, then we end up in that demineralization phase. The demineralization phase is the breakdown of the enamel rods. And then that becomes from a surface area standpoint, it becomes a much, uh, much bigger surface area. So anything that's acidic can attack that area easier because it's broken down and it's bigger. It's almost like a coral reef, right? Part of the reason that coral reefs 
thrive is because the surface area is so big that lots of little bacteria can adhere to that and then they create their own colony. So the acidity, when you have that acidic environment, it'll create more acidic biofilm. And when you're mouth breathing, especially at night, so at night you produce very little saliva anyway. And then if you have any sort of non-lip seal, or if you're mouth breathing at night, snoring, anything like that, um, the pH in your mouth can drop to uh, 3.5, which is like the same as battery acid, mm -hmm. right? So it would be like sleeping with battery acid on your teeth. And you're <sighs> like, why are my teeth disintegrating? Well, <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's yeah, a lot more to it, right? I and so that's when we get in, <laughs> then we get into like the glycerin, right? The misnomer of is glycerin in toothpaste bad? Um, we don't use animal glycerin anymore. There was a very small study that was done at some point in time, and it was does glycerin coat the teeth? Well, it was animal glycerin then. We only use vegetable glycerin now. And so vegetable glycerin doesn't do that, but more importantly, what is the overall pH of your product? And what's the particle size of your product? So we have different factors. People are often taught to think about what's called the RDA of a toothpaste. So that's the relative dentinal abrasivity. How abrasive is that toothpaste? Excuse me, not necessarily on your enamel, but on your dentin, which is the, the softer, more vital part of your tooth. That's one thing that's important to know because you don't want to scour. But particle size is another big thing because you see people using things like clay-based products or activated charcoal-based products. They can be really abrasive, but their particle size is also really big. And so then you're scratching the enamel on a surface layer. And then again, that biofilm can hold on to it. And so the minute you stop using those abrasive and large particle size products, you notice you get more buildup, your teeth turn more yellow afterwards, you get more stain. It's because they didn't they didn't understand what they were using is almost like using Comet and a, mm -hmm. and a rough scour pad on a porcelain sink right now. Once you've scoured that porcelain, now any stain that comes along is just going to pick up right there. So then you talked about essential oils in um, alcohol mouthwash. What about in toothpaste? What's your take on that? Again, if it's an essential oil that is going to help to kill bad bacteria and help good bacteria thrive. And it's going to help the xylitol. Um, if you're used, if you're utilizing xylitol, that's going to create synergy within it. Yes. But, and then you'll look at people, you know, like an essential oil of lemon is very different than using lemon mm -hmm. in your water, right? Yeah. One's not going to have acidity. Um, and then the other one is going to be really acidic. So you see a lot of people in the wellness industry, that take apple cider vinegar shots and drink lemon water throughout the day. The lemon water throughout the day will destroy your teeth over time because you're continually bringing those acids in that create a different demineralization aspect separate from biofilm. Yeah, that's a really important distinction because it doesn't have essential oils are not, they don't have the acidic element to it. Okay, so then how do we correct acidity? Is it xylitol? Xylitol is a good way to do it. Um, putting something in your mouth that's going to increase uh, saliva flow will do it. You could use even like baking soda rinses and things like that will increase 
the decrease the acidity of the mouth so it'll make it more basic but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's doing anything to the biofilm so sometimes there's a difference between changing the acidity of the mouth in general mm-hmm. versus targeting healthy biofilm there's you could put a rock in your mouth to be honest and it should start salivary flow most people don't notice that they've lost saliva until they've lost about 75% of it so when you are talking to somebody about like a subjective measure, like, do you feel like your mouth is dry? They're not going to feel it until they've lost about 75% of it. Utilizing things like uh, pH strips can help you see what your free flowing saliva is doing. And then utilizing something like disclosing solution on your teeth can help you see if there's acidic biofilm because they have two and three toned disclosing products so that you're staining that bacteria and you can see if it's new or if it's old. And if it's old, what do you need to do to change that? Is it a different type of brush or tool? Is it a different type of product? Just depends. Okay. You talked a little bit about mouth breathing and tongue placement. And we always think about that for like orthodontics, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the general health of the teeth, even how, where your tongue touches your teeth throughout the day and you sort of massage your tooth. We, no one talks about that. Can you explain a little bit about the play between all of those elements and tooth health? So we're finding, I'm not a myofunctional therapist, Mm -hmm. but I work directly beside one of mine because what I do, I'm very passionate about what I do. So I'm not interested in pivoting and becoming a myofunctional therapist, but I sure as heck am interested in all consumers and my clients really understanding the benefits of it. So when our tongue goes up to the roof of our mouth, it's supposed to completely spread out and fill in our entire palate, if you will, the vault, the the roof of our mouth, it's supposed to fill that whole thing in. When there is a tongue thrust or a tongue tie, or even a parent who is a mouth breather or somebody has a low tongue posture, kids will learn normal from looking around their environment. So if they see people who have open mouth postures and have uh, low tongue postures, they will mimic and mirror that because they think that that is normal. But every time we swallow, it's an opportunity for our tongue to go all the way up into the roof of our mouth our tongue is doing the work, our tongue spreads out in our whole palate, and that actually pushes the teeth. It's like our tongue is our natural orthodontics, and our cheeks and lips are our natural retainers. And so when you have an effective swallow, that tongue is going all the way up, it's pushing in all four ways, right? Front, sideways, backward. It's pushing all those ways. So it's pushing the teeth. It's telling the teeth where to go. And then you're also getting lymphatic drainage. Every time you swallow, if you have a correct swallow, the back of your palate has lymph nodes that you want to drain from your, it's like your brain drain. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you get this buildup. If you, if your swallow isn't effective and correct, you get that buildup from the lymphatic drainage. And then also there's another area on the roof of the mouth that's called the spot. And when you have a correct swallow, the spot gets stimulated every time you swallow. And so that, that releases dopamine, right? So your feel good pleasure centers are coming from 
the, the roof of your mouth. That's why you see a lot of kids that are anxious, that aren't sleeping well, that move into like pacifier, thumb sucking, extended breastfeeding, not for nutrients, but for anxiety control because their tongue isn't getting up into the roof of their mouth, giving them their, their feel good, uh, dopamine that we all need to get. Those are why that's why swallowing is so complex. And that's why like a tongue tie release isn't necessarily, uh, always the first thing that you should go for. You should have your swallow evaluated first to see if it's, if it's fascia, right? So if it's tightened tissue, if it's learned response, if you've learned it from your environment, or if in fact you do have a tether, because we do have a lot more what we call epigenetic changes that are happening. So kids are being born with more ties, but that goes even more to what happens in a mom's third trimester when mm-hmm. she's pregnant and if she's snoring and, or if somebody's snoring in the room with her and if she's snoring and developing sleep apnea, because if you're going to develop it, you're typically going to develop it in your third trimester. And when that happens, you'll see a lot more kids being born with cavity issues because of that third trimester problem that just no one's talking about, right? Like when, yeah. have, you heard, when have you been to an OBGYN appointment? And they're like, okay, let's test your sleep. Is there any snoring going on in your room? Sleep hygiene is a really big issue for Mm -hmm. cavities. Also, if you're vitamin D deficient, you will have more inflammation in your nasal passages and that makes it harder to breathe through your nose. So oxygen is the one thing that we can't live without, right? Mm -hmm. We can live without food. We can live without nutrients. We can live without water, no oxygen for sure. Death, right? Yeah. And so our bodies, if we can't make it happen effectively through our nose, it will happen through our mouth, but our mouth should have nothing to do with the breathing complex. It's your nose and you pick up your nitric oxide there, which is another feel good sensor. It's also a uh, naturally decreases um, high blood pressure and things like that. When you start to have early high blood pressure, mouth breathing has a direct effect to that because if you're nasal breathing in your deep nasal breath, you're picking up your nitric oxide and your nitric oxide keeps your blood vessels uh, relaxed and smooth and working hardening of the arteries. Mm -hmm. You'll see the symptom of that is high blood pressure. And so when you're mouth breathing, it moves you into high blood pressure very, very easily. So interesting. And how does that affect the bacteria in your mouth when you're breathing? Through your mouth. Breathing through your mouth because you are such a good question. So major things happen when you're breathing through your mouth, you're bringing in all the dust and dirt and bacteria and viruses and fungi and all of the things that would normally get filtered through your nose. You bring nose it hairs. in through your mouth. Yep. Your nose hairs. And even just like the, the tissue is mm-hmm. designed that whole gases exchange up there in your sinuses is amazing at what it can do, but you're breathing in your dirt. And so when you go to sleep at night, and if you have like a mouth breathing issue, you're almost always going to grind more at night because your tongue will fall back in your airway. And then your brain will try and move things Mm -hmm. around. so You can stay alive, right? Again, we can't live without oxygen. So when you bring in that dirt, now you're grinding at night. So now it's almost turning into like a sandpaper issue, right? Now you've got like (laughs) stuff that shouldn't normally be there. And now you're grinding and it's making it exponentially worse. 
when you breathe through your mouth, your adenoid tissue, your tonsil tissue, they become thicker. They become hypertrophy, right? So they Mm -hmm. don't, they don't move around as much. They get inflamed. They don't like to be their first line of defense is inflammation. So now you're closing off again, that hole, that air hole, you're making it even smaller. And then your adenoid tissues get inflamed and they get bigger. And so it creates even less volume that is in your mouth. But if you breathe through your nose, those things don't happen. And if you use like a xylitol nose spray, that actually helps to shrink the tonsils, shrink the adenoids, do all these things. So there's lots of stuff that typically, if you were going to go straight into mainstream, they're like, Oh, we got to take the Mm -hmm. tonsils and adenoids out. Well, that's just making more room. It's not fixing the problem. But if you can do things like use the nose spray, which the way xylitol was actually figured out was because somebody was using xylitol nose spray and the kids were getting less ear infections. Wow. That's how a big part of what we understand for xylitol, that was the push for it. And then they started noticing less cavities too. And then it was like, what, what's going on? Because it's breaking up and thinning out just like the biofilm mm-hmm. does the same thing, the mucus and it kills, it starves that bacteria. Okay. So there, there's just so much goodness that you're saying here. Like if you guys, if your kids have tonsillitis all the time, if you have ear infections all the time, if you're a mouth breather, get it looked at because it's probably going to be affecting their teeth and vice versa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they've also just now they have um, found that there is another specific vitamin D that is only found in the nasal passages. And so a lot of us are struggling with D deficiencies and a lot mm-hmm. of moms are struggling with unknowingly being D deficient before they get pregnant. And if you don't have multiple years in between each one of those pregnancies and you're not front loading so that you know what your levels are and their high levels, each of those pregnancies, you're becoming more deficient. So your kids are starting with an even greater deficiency. That's why you're, you know, a lot of people are like my first two didn't have any problems. And now this one, I can't get him to chew anything. He's eating pouches all the time. He's the super picky eater. He's gaggy. He's got cavities. Yeah. Those all come into play of D levels of pregnancy during your pregnancy as well. And also it's some Uh, Good to point out too, um, I work a lot with autoimmune disease. And if you are a person who has autoimmune disease, your D levels are affected even more. So that's something to think about too. There's a neurologist that does a lot of work with that, with getting your Ds and your Bs and your Ks figured out and working correctly so that you sleep better because it's when you are asleep that you dump your own, that your hormones dump their own self-regulation stuff. And so we know the effects of secondhand smoking, right? Mm -hmm. But when our grandparents were pregnant with our parents, uh, they were smoking away. And if Mm -hmm. you look at the, if you look at the, uh, (laughs) the advertisements back then it was encouraged. And then we're like, oh, smoking's dangerous. Oh, secondhand smoking's dangerous. So it, you know, it's progression that we learn. Well, now we know that secondhand snoring is super dangerous. So the people that are in the room with the snorer can be experiencing the same issues with your neurology, not getting through the sleep cycles correctly so that they dump their own hormones and self-regulate. That's a, that's a big piece to um, autoimmune issues. But mm-hmm. Dr. Gomanak is a neurologist that has a ton of stuff on that online. She's amazing. 
so interesting. And I absolutely love that there's people like you talking about this functional approach to things because it's so important. We've never, I mean, no one has talked to us about this, not once, which blows my mind. Even something as simple as xylitol, like I've never heard that in the dentist's office. And so there's a, I think there's a really obviously serious gap in patient education. And as you were saying earlier, like professionals don't even know. So what do you want to see change in the industry and in education, either, you know, on the professional side, but also for parents and patients? Such a good question. Um, I want, I want people to be emotionally intelligent on both sides. Right. And so often what happens in a dental environment is based on reaction, not response, right? Patients are coming in with a chip on their shoulder Mm. because either they want something different or they've experienced something in a practice beforehand that wasn't, that wasn't appropriate that left them traumatized. Right. So they're more likely to react dentistry. Oftentimes it doesn't get along with itself. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have all these, the dental assistant doesn't get along with the hygienist, the doctor, the office manager. There's all this subculture that really needs to be looked at in a dental office and people need the opportunity to communicate more dentists, unless they're really and hygienists, if they're really not focused on the wellness side, it's very easy for them to, again, when from a clinician standpoint, if somebody comes to me and they ask me a question, it's really hard for me in a clinical setting to go, that's a really good question. I don't have the answer to that. Uh, Let's figure out a way to get back, you know, let's figure out a way to come like to get more information about that. And then let's come together. It's more like, you're going to have a question. I need the answer. Mm -hmm. And so, or if I try and implement something and it doesn't work very well, then I'm going to think automatically, like I don't have time to deal with this. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I'd love to see changed is people going in to the dental appointment going, here's what my pH scores have been for the last few months. Here's my photos that are showing what I'm doing with my disclosing. Here's where I started. Here's where I'm at now. Right. Because that's going to show on a patient side. Wow. You are on top of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are super good on the clinical side. I want more people to learn that it's okay to not have the answer. It's okay to not have a reaction. It's okay to learn more of this stuff. And it's even getting worse now because so many dental providers have never experienced what it's like in the chair, Mm -hmm. which I think is really difficult. If you haven't had a lot of dentistry done and you're a dental provider is really hard to empathize with what that person might be experiencing in the chair really hard. And we create anxiety for people when we lean them back and we stare Mm -hmm. down at them. And if they have any sort of tongue tie issue and we're staring down at them and we're cutting off their airway and they can't breathe through their nose anyway, because they don't know how to use their nose correctly. We, it is a, it's a doo-doo storm. It is Mm -hmm. another F word storm. (laughs) It is, it, it's really negative. Um, but as you, the patient, there are so many things that you can do to help bypass that. 
And there's so many ways for you as the patient to dig a little bit deeper to figure out what your provider might stand for before you go in there. Because for me, dentistry is like a marriage and most people don't think about it that way. They're like, oh, who does my insurance cover? Mm-hmm. Who is my friend referring me to who is this, that? And then they come in, they're like, yeah, we're not doing x-rays and fluoride, but you don't, you didn't know the ethos of the practice before you went in there. So now you're going into their home. Yes, you're the patient, you have autonomy, but if you don't know what they stand for, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage by going in there and going, yep, this doesn't work. Dentistry sucks. Mm -hmm. Well, if you knew what you were after and you could reverse engineer it and you knew what to look for in a practice and you knew how to call and ask questions, you wouldn't put yourself in that situation. So emotional intelligence on both sides, for sure. And then I would love to see more coaching going on in practices because it's what gets people to value health and really want to put forth the effort in what it's going to take to get them. And I would love for dentistry to be covered the same Mm -hmm. way that medical intervention is covered. And it's not like dentistry, dental insurance, the, the values of dental insurance haven't changed since the seventies. And a lot of times they're going down even more, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say we were given a thousand dollars for a procedure in the seventies. Well, now we might be getting $700 and it costs a lot of money to run a dental practice. It costs a lot of money to go to dental school. It costs a lot of money for lab work that needs to be done. It costs a lot of money for, you know, staff to be trained and to be there and to be present. And if that money isn't coming in, well, then you can't have your doors open, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be really beneficial if dentistry removed into medicine, because it really is for a long time. It was like, okay, you're the doctor of this space right here, but it really doesn't matter for the rest of your body. Yeah. It was just crazy. Uh, Take care of that. And and we, the real doctors, the real real nurses, we're going to take care of everything else, but you just take care of that little space right there. Well, we're actually knowing now that the oral complex, whether it be Again, we talked about the the high blood pressure stuff. We haven't even gotten into the dementia and Alzheimer's issues, Um, wellness, and all of that actually stems from our mouth. So our mouth is one of the most important places of the body. And if we can get those two things to work together, our mouth and our body, then we can make much easier uh, pathways for obtaining and then maintaining health. And I just want to ask you real quick, what do you think that we should ask our doctor? What is one or a couple of really important questions for patients who are looking for this kind of approach? Like you mentioned about calling up and, and just kind of interviewing them real quick. I think airway, you know, uh, a lot of people look for biological dentists Mm -hmm. or holistic dentists, but if that holistic slash biological dentist isn't looking at airway, they might be putting materials in there that are biocompatible. But again, like airway trumps everything, right? And so you want to have an understanding of where that practice looks at airway, you know, is tongue positioning something that's big with you? Are you checking like the snoring complex, which would be the muscles of the mouth? Are you looking for tongue ties? Are you looking at tongue posturing? airway. What do you do to help ensure that my child's airway or my airway 
is adequate and what are the things that you do to help back out of it? And that'll take 90% of your providers off anyway. That's just like <laughs> the easiest low hanging fruit. Like, can we talk about airway and airway health? And they're like, what? awesome fluoride. <laughs> okay. So it's just not your match. Right. And yeah. in the beginning, literally like, and, and these are, you know, uh, these are the hard parts because then your listeners are going to go start ha- calling and having these conversations mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, now I can't find anyone. Well, that's not the case. And in the beginning, when I started doing this 10 years ago, some of my clients would have to call like 60 providers to find mm-hmm. what they're looking for. Um, it's not as bad anymore because these airway is really starting to make uh, more noise in our industry, in the dental industry. So there's keywords that you can search for airway dentist, um, airway orthodontist, pediatric airway. Um, yeah. Airway. Okay. Airway. And I would say from, from my perspective as learning from you and being a patient needing more than just, you know, floss, <laughs> look for somebody who also does coaching. Like I am willing to sit down with you and pay money for you to tell me what exactly I need to prevent myself from coming in here and spending crazy amounts of money on a root canal. Like that's preventative care. So finding someone who can help you through that, I think is also incredibly helpful. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And it's a challenge to do in dentistry because Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, how much have we gone over today? Right. And if you were to have this conversation with a dental provider, you would have already invested hundreds of dollars just to sit with that provider and see what it's like. And so that's why I love taking the things that can be done at home and again, slowing the process down so that you have the opportunity to, and I have in my, in my groups, we have, you know, pictures that the clients take of their four month healing process, right? Like what happens? And I always explain, you know, that first picture where there's all sorts of disease going on. People are frustrated. They're going to dental practices or being told they need deep cleanings and all these things, their teeth are going to fall out, blah, blah, blah. Those are really um, negative type Mm -hmm. appointments. Right. But if you look at the, the healing process of pictures that they're taking at home and you see what happens at that four month, and then they go into a dental practice as a completely different Mm -hmm. uh, story, right? That story is going to be completely different. And so knowing how to get that most opportune time is you being able to really look at what you're doing at home and working through that process first even sometimes more important than the dentistry can, because again, we touched on that dental work doesn't stop the infection process, but if you get that infection under control, like as far as bacteria and biofilm is concerned, when that dentistry is done, it has the opportunity to be much more successful and you get way more out of that dental work that was done. Because again, we talked about that recurrent decay, right? Mm -hmm. Billing, still gets more decay. And then it turns into an in-layer, non-layer crown, you know, that, that cycle continues the way you stop that cycle is learning how to, you take the time beforehand to really get your biofilm under control, really get the acidity under control. When you do have that dentistry, it will hold up much better than if you just go straight through and have the dental work done. Which makes sense. And that's exactly why people like you exist. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing with us all of this, 
awesome information. And I really want people to listen to what you're saying because there's so much you can do at home. Just You just need a little bit of the right education. So can you tell us where we can find you online, where we can find your programs? Do you take one-on-one coaching? What's your deal? (laughs) I love those questions. So I have two websites that I run. Remember, I'm an oral health coach. So guess what that website is? Oralhealthcoaching.com. That is my program. And pre-pandemic, it was hundreds of dollars. I always knew that I wanted a subscription model, Mm -hmm. right? I wanted it to be low cost for a monthly membership so that everyone can afford it more so than just the people who have a thousand dollars to throw at working together. But it took me years of creating this momentum in order to become successful enough to have enough money to pivot my entire program. My program is actually subscription-based. So it's $37 a month as of right now. Once you're inside the program, and that gives you my entire coursework for free, there's like 150 lessons in there. And I'm always building upon it because I also, you also get a closed Facebook group for support. And I continue to create content every month that's based on who are the members and what are they experiencing inside there. Um, Inside there, just like a gym, you can do personal training so you can you can uh, pay for and have one-on-one coaching. And you can also have starter kits. If you're in the United States, I don't ship outside of the U S cause it's just, you're going to pay more for me getting those products to you, but I'll help you navigate through websites that are available in your country so that you're able to get the products and tools and things like that, that we, that we do. So that's oralhealthcoaching.com. Um, my free site is carrieibbotson.com, just like my name. And that even has information on my coaching, but that has my YouTube channel. It has my blog. It has my podcast. It has all sorts of things that are over there to help you navigate. And then when you're ready to streamline, that's the oral health coaching course. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I will link all that up in the show notes. This is going to be so great for so many people. So thank you so much for your time. It was so wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing with your podcast. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And so to have you ask me to come on and do this was really uh, just, it gave me such a sense of accomplishment to when I get invites like this, it's just like, yes, people are seeing what's happening and they're experiencing the results, even though they're not in my program, but they're still getting the information and really making the difference. So thank you for having me. It was really great. You asked some great questions. Thank you so much. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.